Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Paul Caruana Galizia. I'm the youngest of Daphne Caruana Galizia's three sons. And who was your mother? My mother was Malta's foremost investigative journalist, and two years ago she was assassinated in a car bombing. Hello, I'm Basha Cummings, and welcome to week four of the Tortoise podcast. Paul Caruana Galizia and I both work for Tortoise. We're the same age, and we're both journalists. And yet Paul has endured something that I can't even begin to imagine. It's something that he carries with him as he sits in the same office as me, working at a desk nearby. Last week, Paul travelled back to Malta. We'd asked him to go there to work on a podcast series about his family's fight for justice for his mother, who was killed in a car bomb two years ago. But just as Paul arrived, things started to happen. In fact, after two years of fighting, things started to move at an almost unbelievable pace. Police have now arrested one of the country's most prominent businessmen in connection to the case. Resigning in the face of mounting pressure to high-ranking Maltese officials. The reason, their financial ties to businessman Jorgen Fenech. An angry crowd threw accusations and eggs at Maltese Prime Minister Joseph Muska as he escaped Parliament, shrouded by tight security. Who's it? You have no right to open the door now. Are you saying hundreds of people are locked in the room and they want to leave now? Who do you think you are? Who are you? Exactly. Who are you? Who are you? Security services. Who security are you? There have been arrests, protests, incredible revelations. So I called Paul. I wanted to find out how this week had been for him. Hello. Hi. Hi, Basha. How are you doing? It's fine here. I think we're all um, thinking of you and, and wondering how you are. Okay, I'm fine. I mean, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, just trying to manage everything, you know? Yeah, how's your dad? Um, he's okay. He's sort of and as we were talking, there were many moments where I was fighting back tears. The fact is... None of this week's extraordinary events would have happened without the bravery and the determination of the Caruana Galizia family, of Paul and his brothers, his father, his aunts. They fought for these moments since their lives were shattered on October the 16th, 2017.
I was at work in London and I kept getting calls from a number I didn't recognize. And because I didn't recognize it, I wasn't answering. Mm. And I copied the number, I sent it to my mother, asked her whether she knew it. By that point, she was dead. And eventually, my aunt, Cora, got through to me to say that Matthew, my eldest brother, who was in Malta at the time, is trying to get through to me, and can you please answer? And when I finally answered, Matthew said to me, Paul, there was a bomb in her car, I don't think she made it. And it was the strangest thing, you know, you hear it and you think about it and Mm. it feels as though there's this huge space between every single word. And I had this sense that I was almost outside myself. And, you know, when I finally got to it, I just didn't know what to say. And I asked him, what do I do? And he told me, will you come home? You need to come home now. And so I got on the first flight out of London to Malta. What kind of state were you in? Were you with somebody or were you alone? So I was with my wife, Jessica, who by that point obviously heard the news, came home, found me in a crying mess on our sofa and more or less carried me to the airport, onto the plane. And then we were picked up at Malta Airport by my father. Obviously, once you got back, you were told the full story. Yes. I mean, I knew the full story before I got there because I couldn't help, you know, opening the Maltese news sites in sort of desperation to find that actually it wasn't true or that she made it or that it wasn't her car. But, you know... Obviously, you get there and you slowly start hearing all the details Um, as we're driving down through the valley that leads to our house. You just see it's covered in floodlights and soldiers and police officers and people in forensic suits. And you just don't need to know anymore, you know? You don't want to know anymore. It's enough to know that she was killed in a car bombing. You don't need to reflect on it and to sort of really have an image in your head of exactly what happened so that you can continue functioning. Could you describe what it was like to sort of watch her work and grow up with her? So my mother started writing in 1988, the year I was born. She was then 24 years old and she was the first woman in Malta to write about politics and she was the first journalist in Malta to use her own name. She was pretty prolific and over her 30-year writing career, she really wrote about everything Things kind of took this really ugly turn where my mother found that she was no longer writing about low-level corruption, say of Maltese judges or Maltese MPs or Maltese ministers. But suddenly she was writing about this globalised corruption. Hmm. So this 
real optimism she had for our European Union membership turned into something really ugly because it attracted huge flows of money. You know, we eventually started selling our passports because they became so valuable in the access they provided to the EU. And she found she was writing on, you know, Russian oligarchs, Chinese billionaires, criminal gangs that spread across Europe. And uh, we just realized that it's just her, you know, against all these people. Mm. And I think in that sense, yes, the pressure at points got too much to bear. I was so struck by the story of your family dogs that one had its throat cut, another was poisoned, another was shot, I think. And I was trying to imagine what that would have been like for you as a kid in the house. So when our when our first dog was killed, our collie, uh, I was really young, so I was about seven years old, I think. And what happened is we got back from school. So our mother used to pick us up from school every day. And the dog was just laid across our doorstep. And it just had blood, obviously, coming out of its throat. My mother saw it, obviously recognized what had happened. Um, kind of rushed us inside over the dog's corpse. Um, and just sort of sat us down and then went out to clear away its body and later told us that it accidentally ate snail poison. And it was only, I think when I was about 14, that she actually let slip, no, no, her throat was slit. Uh, And so after that, you know, a bunch of other dogs were poisoned Um, One went missing a week before a really major arson attack on the house. And it's just part of our life in the sense that it used to happen so much, this kind of abuse, this kind of harassment, that you almost forget it was happening. You know, it was Mm -hmm. only after my mother was killed that we had to sit down and take stock of all the dogs that were killed or went missing, the arson attacks, the number of times her car tires were slashed or her car was scratched, or she was falsely accused of something that we thought, you know, Jesus, I can't believe how much abuse she endured over 30 years. Hmm. How did she cope with it? I really don't know. Uh, You know, Matthew, my brother, once described her as a a force and that she had somehow this special energy about her. And that's about as good an explanation as I can give, that she was this real force of nature. When this week... Did you get the sense that something truly extraordinary was happening? So we got here on Tuesday last week, arrived quite late. And then a few hours later, my phone started buzzing with photos of Jorgen Fenech's yacht 
being raided in the private marina that his family built. And it was just message after message. So where were you when you you heard and you started to get that flurry of text messages? Well, it was really early in the morning, so I was in bed and I picked up my phone and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing because, you know, they weren't just messages, they were photos. Photos of his arrest? Well, photos of soldiers on his yacht in his marina. And I I just couldn't believe it, you know. I was sort of rubbing my eyes and, you know, half asleep. And I couldn't believe what I was looking at. I thought, Jesus, they've finally done it. So we've suspected Jürgen Fennec is heavily involved in the plot to assassinate my mother for a long time. But the prospect of his arrest just seemed so distant. So, so distant even a month ago. So I pick up my phone and I see these photos and I read these messages. And it was just... You know, the whole picture was beyond belief. And then slowly people started explaining what happened that morning. That, you know, a bunch of journalists were tipped off. That Fennec is planning an escape on his boat that morning. So at about three in the morning, they were lying there in wait. And, you know, there was this absurd moment, one of them told me, where the security personnel of the marina... Um, saw the journalist, said, this is private property, you can't be here, you can't film here, please leave. And they said to the journalist, we're going to call the police. And so there was this moment where Fennec's yacht, uh, you know, the lights went on, his engine started, the journalists were going, he's escaping, he's escaping, <laughs> call the police. The security personnel were saying, we're going to call the police, we're going to get you off the marina. Um, And so Fennec made it about a mile out of the marina, heading north, I don't know where, in the direction of Sicily, though, when he was intercepted by the armed forces and brought back to Malta. So, Paul, how does Jorgen Fennec fit into this whole picture? So in November 2018, the Daphne Project found that 17 Black is owned by Jorgen Fennec, So 17 Black is part of a network of offshore companies that my mother started uncovering in 2016 when the Panama Papers broke. So when my mother dug into the Panama Papers, she found two significant companies, one owned by the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Keach Gembri, and the other owned by the then energy minister, Konrad Mitzi. So she found that they had taken possession of these companies shortly after the Labour Party was elected. Uh, Shortly after that, so within a few weeks, they rigged the privatisation of Malta's energy sector so that the country was locked in to an 18-year gas supply agreement with Azerbaijan. And again, another thing that the Daphne project found was that Malta was paying twice the market rate for gas. Mm. So the picture that emerged was that the excess of that payment was shared as kickbacks between the companies in this network. So in 
a series of leaked emails, journalists found that 17 Black was set up to pay those two Panamanian companies 5,000 euros a day for 18 years. So, in other words, Jürgen Fenech was paying, or about to pay, Konrad Mitzi and Keith Schembri 5,000 euros a day. Who were both in government. Who were both in government. Schembri as the Prime Minister's right-hand man, Konrad Mitzi as the energy minister. And it, was, and it was this scam, it was this story that led to her death. So the interesting thing is, she worked on a lot of different stories. And by the time of her death, a number of those stories had been concluded. But the one story she never completed was this. And she never completed it because it was so hard to uncover the ownership of 17 Black. So this was the only story where killing my mother would have prevented her revealing the full picture. So, Paul, whose voice was that in the, that we could hear shouting? That was my aunt, Mandy, so one of my mother's sisters, who has been protesting outside Parliament and the office of the Prime Minister with hundreds, actually thousands of people. But that... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That day, I think, for multi-civil society was a real turning point. So it was the first protest I had ever been to in Malta where there was this real 
strong sense of public anger and this was just unrelenting the moment people got together outside parliament they just started shouting and you heard them shouting for justice calling MPs inside parliament and so Mandy my aunt was holding a photo of my mother and when the justice minister finally left parliament and got into his ministerial car a group of protesters surrounded his car stopping him from leaving and Mandy got quite close to where Owen Bonici was sitting in the car held up the photo of my mother pressed it against his window and was just shouting and screaming at him and by that point a number of people were around the car throwing coins at it hitting it kicking it all the while chanting justice mafia corrupt assassins he just went on for over half an hour and a group of people sat down in front of the car blocking the street and i mean it got really tense it was actually you know it was a legitimate thing i think that anger now is is right and it was really what the country needed and it is really important for politicians to see just how angry people are I think the funny thing is you see Jorgen Fenech being arrested and you see the fallout from that and part of you feels like finally there is hope there is justice and we are finally getting there and for those two years where we were accused of being liars and corrupt ourselves and all the rest of it we were right and we were right to keep fighting but you know there's a part of me that's angrier than i have ever been you know part of me is furious that not only did these people kill or facilitate the killing of my mother but they tried covering it up mm. you know layer upon layer of crime and corruption and i mean that is really i think upsetting people on top of the assassination itself. Mm. So where does this go now? Who's next in the firing line do you think? So the energy minister who was later made tourism minister has resigned mm. as has the prime minister's chief of staff as has the economy minister. But you know we're not talking about politicians who may have said the wrong thing at a press conference or whatever. We're talking about really serious crimes. Mm. We're talking about the crime of money laundering, the crime of bribery, the crime of corruption, and we're talking about for a number of them the crime of of murder. So where it goes from here is we want obviously these people to be charged with those crimes and we want them to be prosecuted and we want them to stand up in court have their crimes read out to them and to have them face trial in an open and honest court
What it means for Malta is at this point hard to say. So people ask, will Malta ever be the same again? My answer is, I hope it won't be the same. I hope that this is a moment in which Malta finally seizes the chance to turn the country into something better. It had that moment many years ago when my mother first reported on these crimes, first reported on these people. It covered it up, it moved on, it called her a liar, and she was killed. And now, you know, now we're seeing what really happened. And Malta can either, you know, muddle through this crisis, make things worse, you know, send us further down this really dark path, or it can seize this opportunity to get some real truth, real justice and change. this morning let the uh, the uh, the whole process take its due course i've always taken decision i've never shied away from taking decisions you've been protecting peach cambrian community for three years it's it seems i've been, by extension you're in Finnick. it seems i've been protecting no one from and it's not a, a statement or an opinion it's facts facts uh, speak louder than than words and what happened in the past few hours has shown that uh, we no one protects anyone and there is no impunity in this country. Thank you. So that was a, a clip of the Prime Minister of Malta, Joseph Muscat, and we'll we'll come to him in a moment. But let's talk first about his chief of staff, Keith Schembri. Paul, why is he so important to this story? So Schembri is really the most powerful, or was until his arrest, the most powerful man in the country. So he was you know, one of these power-behind-the-throne figures. He never gave any interviews. He's not an elected official. He was, as we say in Malta, in business and entered government with Joseph Muscat as his kind of enforcer and organiser. And he's also widely known to be hideously corrupt. So... Mm. He's been implicated in almost every single corruption scandal we've seen reported over the past six years. So the Prime Minister didn't just refuse to ask for Schembri's resignation. He actually would defend him at press conferences, give statements in support of him. He would give him more responsibilities. And the strange thing is Muscat himself stood a lot to gain from just letting go of Schembri. He stood to gain enormously, in fact, but yet he never did. He kept him. He stood by him. He defended him. He protected him. So obviously I should say here and, and make it clear that while Jorgen Fenech has asked for a pardon, all of the other people that we've mentioned in connection with Daphne's murder have denied wrongdoing. So how, and, how difficult is, mm. is Muscat's position now? I mean, he must be under immense pressure. It's actually looking like he's hunkering down. He's not backing away. He's not saying, look, this is a dangerous situation. 
I'm implicated in a lot of these scandals. It would be better if I just stepped aside. He's doing the opposite. He's digging his heels in. He's saying, I'm here to stay. I'm taking these decisions. And I'm going to show you how none of this criminal liability reaches me. So there is this significance about the Prime Minister's office in Malta, and it's that it's an unusually powerful office. It's the Prime Minister who has the power to recommend immunity for crimes. So it's the Prime Minister who can recommend that suspects in a criminal investigation are given a presidential pardon, which is something that he's already done for one of the people implicated in the assassination. Are you worried that he'll do the same for Skembri and Mitzi and others? The real danger now is that he abuses that power. Mm. So Jorgen Fenech, under interrogation, will want a pardon. He'll want a pardon in exchange for testimony on Skembri. So the big question is, now that we know, or now that it seems like Shkembri is in some way involved in the plot to assassinate my mother, can we prosecute Shkembri without giving Fenech a pardon, who was clearly involved in the assassination himself? Mm. And it's one of these dangerous moments where the Prime Minister, who again for the past uh, three years has been protecting Shkembri, now has power over Shkembri's future. You know, he gets to decide what kind of justice, if any, Shkembri will face. So at the end of this incredible week, do you feel optimistic? I feel more optimistic than I have ever been over the past two years. But I know Malta and I know that nothing ever pans out in the way that you expect. And I know how dangerous these people are. And I know how much more dangerously they'll behave now that they're cornered. And, you know, my mother pushed them to a point where they thought the only way of stopping her is with a car bomb. So who knows what they'll do now? You know, now they're really up against it. Now there's, you know, the whole world looking at them. And I just don't know how they'll react. I don't know how extreme their behavior is going to get. But we now know that these are men who are capable of of murder and a lot of other crimes. So, you know, it's been an extraordinary week and I think it's going to be an extraordinary next couple of weeks. I think that we just can't expect things to work as they should when a country has been so totally, so completely compromised by corrupt government officials. Hi, this is Paul. Things have moved on since Basha and I last spoke. 
Yesterday afternoon, we learned that the Prime Minister's former Chief of Staff and his best friend, Keech Kembri, was released from police custody without charge. Later in the day, the Prime Minister called an emergency cabinet meeting and a crowd gathered outside waiting for them to come out. Then at about three in the morning, the Prime Minister's aides came out onto the square saying, we're going to convene a press conference, um, please, please come through this door. So I got in as a journalist um, and we were taken up to a room in the building. Um, about 20 minutes later, the Prime Minister entered and stood at a podium and said that on the advice of the Attorney General and the Police Commissioner, his cabinet, with him at the head, decided against granting immunity to Jorgen Fenech in exchange for testimony um, against Keech Cambry. This shows that our institutions do work and they actually deliver. On the point on the pardons, I must point out that in all cases, at least under my watch, um, where pardons have been considered, we have relied exclusively on the advice of the Attorney General and the Police Commissioner. So this is not a discretionary power in the sense that a politician can decide just like that as a matter of fact. And as the cabinet walked out of the room one by one, a large number of thugs who failed to identify themselves, weren't wearing any IDs or any uniform, walked into the room after the ministers left and closed every single door in that room and, and then stood in front of the doors, blocking people from leaving. They provided no explanation. Again, despite multiple questions from journalists there, refuse to identify themselves, refuse to say why they're holding us in this room, and they just stood there defiantly, stopping us from even touching the door, stopping us from getting any, anywhere near it. Who's it? You have no right to open the door now. Are you saying hundreds of people are locked in the room and they want to leave now? Who do you think you are? Who are you? Exactly. Who are you? Who are you? Security services. Whose security are you? I don't normally come face to face with thugs like them. And the thing about Malta is that it's very easy to figure out who someone is from a photo. And so within... You know, within a couple of hours, so by 6 a.m. this morning, most of them have been identified. And what we now know is that they are a mixture of criminals, one of whom is out on bail, actually, and has to sign in to a police station every day. Um, the others are low-level government officials who are really just ministers and forces. And it was clearly done to both intimidate every journalist there, to intimidate the protesters, and to really keep us as far away from our elected officials as possible. And, you know, this is just the start of what's about to be a very ugly, very scary few months.
this is getting totally ridiculous. The latest headlines are now saying that Joseph Muscat is about to resign, possibly as early as tonight. Paul is a journalist at Tortoise, and while he's been writing about his family's fight for justice, he also does other work too. He's investigated the rise of powerful opioids in Britain. He's reported on the rise of drugs on the dark net, and he's been digging into white-collar crime too. To support his work and the work that we're doing in our newsroom, you can join Tortoise as a member. Go to tortoisemedia.com forward slash friend and use the code POD50 that's P-O-D-50, to join for half our regular price. Hello, I'm John Curtis. And I'm Rachel Wolf. This week on Trendy, the monarchy. A year after the coronation, and as King Charles returns to work, what do we think of it? And how has that changed over time? To listen to the episode, search for Trendy on Tortoise News wherever you get your podcasts and follow the feed to make sure you don't miss an episode.